0: The Monster's Lair is a proud member of the Myriad Podcast Network. This creature brought fear, terror, and panic into my life. I would be happy to know he will spend his life in the hospital. He is a sick person. Natalia Chardomova. What the hell are you doing in my house? Honoring our Dark Lord and Master, J.D. Hudgens of the Monster's Lair. Hello listeners and welcome back once again to another edition of the Monster's Lair. In this edition, we're getting creepy with you. Hope you enjoy listening along as the rain falls in the background to this dark, disturbing, cringy, yet nonetheless interesting edition of the monster's lair. The fear of dolls is called pediophobia. This phobia can be triggered easily by today's popular culture through horror movies or by other tragic or traumatic events, even loosely related to dolls. Pediophobia is considered by most as a specific phobia, which is an irrational fear of something that possesses no actual threat. But is this always the case? Are all dolls just innocent playthings? Hollow plastic cloth or porcelain shells with the facade of a living thing? Or, do some dolls contain something more, something beneath the surface, under the artificial skin, something sinister under the shell? This is the idea we will mainly be discussing, exploring, investigating, and determining in this edition of The Monster's Lair. So... Exactly what is it that is so disturbing and unsettling about creepy little dolls to some people and just how many suffer from some amount of pediophobia? Some cite a phenomenon known as the uncanny valley effect. The uncanny valley effect can best be described as a negative reaction humans sometimes feel towards not quite human figures like humanoid robots who are slowly becoming more and more prevalent in our modern society, lifelike computer-generated images or CGI, realistic human-like animated characters, or even real humans wearing masks, and of course, lifelike toys, dolls, and figures. The negative reaction can range from eerie to visceral depending on the person reacting. The uncanny valley effect concept was first introduced by Masahiro Mori in the 70s. Mori was a professor at the Tokyo Institute of Technology. In his essay on the subject for Japanese publication, Energy, Mori wrote, I have noticed that, in climbing toward the goal of making robots appear human, our affinity for them increases until we, become, until we come to a valley which I call the uncanny valley. Later on in the essay, he uses a real-life example, writing, One might say the prosthetic hand has achieved a degree of resemblance to the human form, perhaps on par with the false teeth. However, when we realize the hand, which at first sight looked real, is in fact artificial, we experience an eerie sensation. For example, we could be startled during a handshake, by its limp, boneless grip, together with its texture and coldness. When this happens, we lose our sense of affinity, and the hand becomes uncanny. In a separate interview, Masahiro Mori once explained how the idea of the uncanny valley came to him, stating, Since I was a child, I have never liked looking at wax figures. They looked somewhat creepy to me. At that time, electronic prosthetic hands were being developed, and they triggered in me the same kind of sensation. These experiences had me start thinking about robots in general, which led me to write the essay. The uncanny valley was intuition. It was one of my ideas. The idea of the uncanny valley has never been more relevant than it is right now in today's world as science science involving AI, media using CGI and products and goods depicting human-like forms continue to advance, develop, and push the absolute limits of realism. There exists already some AI and CGI that is nearly unrecognizable as fake. It has been posited that even though the fear of dolls is a common phobia, it is not an inherited trait but a learned one. Clinical psychologist Kate Walitsky Taylor, Ph.D., states in an article for Prevention.com that in her opinion, people aren't born being afraid of dolls. In fact, many kids like them. Consistent pairing of dolls with other creepy, scary stimuli may lead to experiencing fear or nervousness when confronted with a doll or an image of a doll. Learning is a big factor, whether it's direct learning experiences or vicarious learning through others. A great example of this idea is anyone that had a doll or favorite action figure they loved as a young kid, then one day saw Puppet Master, Child's Play, or Goosebumps for the more younger crowd maybe it was annabelle youtube clips or the film megan suddenly after this experience your gi joe barbie cabbage patch doll or water baby didn't just have quite the same appeal especially at night especially if it was visible while trying to go to bed especially if the toy was sound or motion activated especially if the batteries that powered it were dying transforming its voice or sounds into a low, demonic tone, and especially if it had eyes that always appeared to follow you wherever you seemed to go. Despite how disturbing dolls can be, there are still those among us who have an affinity for them, and so much so they even collect them. You, listener, may have even experienced with this if you grew up with a weird mom, aunt, or grandmother of a certain age with a spare bedroom, a large curio cabinet, or an empty hutch to fill. This, the subject of doll collecting, brings me to our subject of this episode. The strange, unsettling, disturbingly true story of Anatoly Moskvin. A unique type of doll collector, and a man who would become known as doll maker, the russian doll man and the mummy king Anatoly Yuryevich Moskvin was born on the 1st of September in 1966 in Gorky Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic Today, this region is known as Nizhny Novgorod, which roughly translates to Novgorod of the Lower Land. Nizhny Novgorod is the fifth largest city in Russia. There isn't a lot of documentation or research out there with details on how young Anatoly grew up, how his parents treated him, or how he behaved as a child. What is known about Anatoly is that he was very intelligent and also had a morbid fascination with death. This quality dates back even to his earliest school days. It's stated by Anatoly's friends, family, and investigators interested in his story that Moscovin often enjoyed wandering through and exploring cemeteries with friends. His favorite said to be Krasnaya Etna Cemetery located in Gorky, aka Nizhny Novgorod's Leninsky district, a site that was established in 1953 contains an undocumented amount of graves, and for some reason is open to visitors seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Moskvin's morbid, macabre fascination and curiosities about death were cemented as a permanent fixture in his psyche during an unfortunate and disturbing incident that occurred to the impressionable young Soviet at the age of 11. Developmentally, the stages from ages 11 to 13 are crucial for how children process language, literacy, and creativity. This is an important stage where the human mind will move from viewing something for just the facts to being able to look at things in an abstract manner or as being possible to take away multiple meanings from an object, situation, or conversation. So... It stands to reason that this incident impacted the events that would inevitably unfold and gain Anatoly Moskvin his infamous place in history. The event in question occurred when Ah, Anatoly... In 1979, Moskvin was walking home from school one afternoon. This is when Moskvin claims a group of men, all dressed in black suits, stopped him on the street. It turns out the men were en route to a funeral for a local 11-year-old girl, Natasha Petrova. The men, Anatoly has stated, then told Moskvin he was to become the deceased girl's husband. They made Moskvin put on a ring that was similar to the one the dead girl was wearing. The clearly distraught and most likely disturbed black-suited male mourners, as well as the girl's mother, then had Moskvin consummate his posthumous marriage to 11-year-old Natasha by approaching her open coffin and kissing her. Moskvin once recalled in an article, I kissed her once, then again, then again. My strange marriage with Natasha Petrova was useful. Moskvin would go on to claim that that incident cultivated in him a belief in magic, a belief in ritual, and fostered his unending obsession with death that would go unchecked for 30 or more so years. The only thing that rivaled Anatoly's passion for death was his passion for learning. After completing grade school, Anatoly would go on to attend Moscow State University. Moscovan would hear began studying philology, the study of language in oral and written historical sources. His interest in this field led him to learn 13 languages. His other main interest in academics was in the subject of Celtic history and folklore. This is unsurprising in retrospect, as this subject would teach about cemeteries, burial rites, occult practices and the unique relationship and reverences Celtic cultures had for their dead. Anatoly kept a large personal library of over 60,000 books and documents, but books were not the only items he loved to collect. Moscovin also had a large doll collection. Moscovin led a secluded life living with his parents and never married or dated. Anatoly abstained from drinking alcohol and smoking, and is purportedly a virgin to this day. Now, listeners, you may be thinking to yourselves, when does this story take a turn? Because there's no way that a death-obsessed, straight-edge, incel hermit genius who is a grown man who shares an apartment with his elderly parents in Soviet Russia and maniacally collects dolls and books is a story that could possibly turn out bad, right? Relax, listeners. Be patient. In academic circles, Moscovin began to gain notoriety and a reputation as equal parts genius and eccentric. Anatoly would spend some time at Nizhny Novgorod Linguistic University, where he would give lectures on languages. As a philologist, linguist, and polyglot, Or someone who speaks 13 languages, he would write several books, academic papers, and translations. Moskvin also occasionally worked as a journalist and regularly contributed to local papers and publications. In 2005, Oleg Ryabov, Anatoly Moskvin's peer, fellow academic, and publisher commissioned Moskvin to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries and 40 regions of the Nizhny Novgorod Oblast. This and the subsequent work led to Moskvin describing himself as a necropolist, an expert on local cemeteries. Anatoly Moskvin, the genius, doll collector, expert of death, had now landed his very own dream job. Moskvin would claim that over the next two years, he traveled on foot to inspect 752 cemeteries across the region, walking about 18 miles a day. During his expedition, and due to his chosen mode of transportation, he would drink water from streams and puddles and would spend nights sleeping in haystacks on local farms or in the cemeteries himself. Anatoly even once recalled one night he slept in an open coffin being prepared for an upcoming funeral to stay warm throughout the night. On his walks, he was often detained and questioned by police on suspicions of theft and vandalism. Moscovin was, was never arrested, stating his academic credentials and intended purpose. His work on this project, as of today, remains unpublished, mostly due to the fallout of events to come, but they have been described by Moskvin's peer and fellow academic Alexei Yessin as priceless and unique. Yesin was the editor of Publication Necrologies, a weekly paper to which Moskvin was a regular contributor to. Upon completion of this task, Anatoly worked as a freelance correspondent for the newspaper Nizd- Nizhny Novgorod Worker, publishing articles twice a month. In 2009, locals of Nizni Novgorod began discovering graves of their loved ones desecrated and even more horrific, sometimes completely dug up. A large number of the desecrated plots belonged to those of Muslim heritage. These families began contacting local and regional law enforcement and reporting the crimes. Russian Interior Ministry spokesman at the time of the crimes stated in an interview once and conducted an interview once conducted with CNN about the incidents that initially, quote, our leading theory was that it was done by some extremist organizations. We decided to beef up our police units and get set-up groups composed of our most experienced detectives who specialize in extremist crimes. Despite the crack teams being assembled in a beefed-up police presence throughout the cemeteries in the region, for nearly two more years continued to be vandalized, tampered with, dug up, and desecrated, and law enforcement, families of the deceased, and horrified and disgusted locals had no idea who was responsible or why it was being done. Then, in 2011, a big break in the investigation came following of all things a terrorist attack at the Domodedovo Airport of Moscow. The Domodedovo International Airport bombing was a suicide bombing in the international arrival hall of Moscow's Domodedovo International, located in the Domodedovskiy district in Moscow Oblast on the 24th of January, 2011. 20-year-old Magomed Yevloyev, a member of the faction of the Caucasus Emirate, an Islamic jihadist group dedicated to expelling Russian presence in the Caucasus and led by Chechen Mujahideen, Doku Kamatovich Umaramov, decided his politics were more important than his life and the lives of others, detonated a bomb filled with shrapnel and pieces of chopped wire with the force equivalent of 5 kilograms of TNT. The explosion affected mostly the baggage claim area of the airport's International Arrivals Hall. The explosion resulted in the death of 37 victims from 8 different countries and the injuries of 87 people from over 12 different regions from around the globe. Hopefully, if there is any justice in the world, it did not result in Magomed Yevloyev being gifted 72 virgins in paradise. All we can do is hope that he was eternally spit-roasted by two girthy, well-endowed demons in a hellish, forced Devil's three-way over a gigantic pit of intense hellfire while he screamed out in pain and fear, only to have his screams muffled by a gigantic, throbbing, red, veiny, barbed demon cock being thrusted into his burning throat for eternity. Shortly after this attack, with Russian authorities on high alert, they pursued more reports of Muslim graves being desecrated in Nizhny Novgorod. Investigators were led to a cemetery where someone was painting over the pictures of dead Muslims but not damaging anything else. This is where they would find our man, Anatoly Moscovin. Russian police, as well as investigators from the center of combating extremism, arrested Moskvin and were led to his home. The horrors they would find there would rival a film scene, would shock the world would forever change those involved and become infamous the world over. In Anatoly's flat that he still shared with his parents, investigators found several handmade life-size dolls. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that these dolls were crafted by Moskvin, and to add his personal touch, it was found that Moskvin, filled these dolls with something special and unique. The dolls contained bodies of those exhumed from the local graveyards. In total, police uncovered 26 bodies comprising Anatoly's doll collection. Video released by authorities show body after body, doll after doll, seated on bookshelves and sofas all throughout the home in small rooms filled with books documents papers and other general hoarder type clutter in addition to the 26 bodies found in the apartment Moskvin was suspected of the desecration of 150 graves these desecration suspicions were backed up by the discovery of metal nameplates removed from headstones found by police in Moskvin's apartment. Police also came upon instructions for for the making of Anatoly's dolls, maps of cemeteries throughout the region, and a collection of photographs and videos depicting open graves and disinterred bodies. Anatoly fully cooperated with investigators and claimed he created the dolls over the course of 10 years. His parents, who stayed away from large for large portions at a time, were unaware of his activities and thought their eccentric son was merely fond of collecting and creating giant life-size dolls. The times they were home, Moskvin's parents unwittingly lived among the 26 bodies, oblivious to their true origins. Moskvin would go on to be charged under Article 244 of the criminal code for desecration, a charge which carried up to five years in prison. Originally, Anatoly was also accused of having defaced the graves of Muslims, considered a hate crime, but this charge was later dropped. After a psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that Anatoly had a form of paranoid schizophrenia. In a hearing in 2012, Moscovin was deemed unfit to stand trial, which released him from all criminal liability. He was instead sentenced to, quote, coercive medical measures. Moscovin was then moved to a psychiatric clinic, with his stay to be reviewed regularly. In 2013, a hearing approved an extension of his treatment. In 2018, Anatoly's doctors stated that he was no longer dangerous and petitioned the court to release him for outpatient care from home. However, in 2019, a subsequent evaluation found Moskvin unfit. Anatoly Moskvin r- remains in psychiatric care to this day, but is merely only one doctor's approval away from being released back into the world. So, listeners, that completes our time with the eccentric genius, yet insane doll maker, Anatoly Moskvich. The story of his life is yet another reminder to us all. No matter how bad our fear of creepy dolls can be, it should be nowhere near the same amount that we should fear the real monsters of this world, the humans. Next time you see a stranger, creepy doll, just be grateful—it's not one created by the Russian doll man, Anatoly Moskvin. Thanks for tuning in, and please join me again for my next dive back into the depths of the monster's lair. Stick around for the monster's pigs. Hey, what's going on, Monster Raj? It's me the monotone with the microphone, the trailer park monster himself, JD Hutchins. And I have a question for all of you. Are you guys looking for some awesome merchandise? Well, look no further than Burial 13. Burial 13 is a streetwear brand from right here in Fresno, California, my hometown. And they have some sick, badass, awesome, horror and comedy themed designs for your shirts, shorts, and other apparel. I'm happy and proud to announce that the Monsters Layer is an ambassador for Burial 13 Apparel. And by being an ambassador, I can offer all of my listeners a special discount code. That code is TML10. Once again, TML the Monsters Layer 10. The number 1010. So go to www.Burial13Apparel.com Check out their badass merch, their cool designs, and all their products. Pick something you like, throw that bitch in the cart, and in the promo code area, make sure you put in TML10 and save yourself 10% off your next Burial 13 purchase. If you'd like to learn more about Burial 13 Apparel, how they were founded, what they're based on, and what kind of products they offer, you can go back at the beginning of season two and check out my sit-down one-on-one interview with a brand founder, Thomas Burrell, on TML Talks, episode one. Montserrage, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate all of your support, and this is a unique and cool way that I can help show that appreciation and return the favor. So definitely go and check out www.burial13apparel.com right now. Check out their badass merch. And as always, Monsterage, thank you for listening and supporting the Monster's Layer podcast. Hey listeners, welcome back to another edition of the Monster's Picks. In this edition for the album i am picking an ep by the polarizing debated but undeniable swedish metal band turned arena rockers ghost the ep is entitled if you have ghost and was produced by nirvana drummer two fighters frontman and unabashed lover of metal and living legend it was released on november 20th 2013 to mixed reviews much like all of ghosts releases the track is listed as the track list is as follows. Track 1, If You Have Ghosts, a cover of amazing singer-songwriter Rocky Aronson's song. Track 2, the track that secured this EP as this week's monsters pick. I'm a Marionette. A slow-down, haunting, dissonant cover of Abba's song. Track three, Crucified, a cover from Army of Lovers. Track 4, Waiting for the Night, a Depeche Mode cover, and Track 5, the only original Ghost song on the EP, Secular Haze, recorded live at Music Hall of Williamsburg. This is an awesome output of strange, unique, and eerie versions of ultra-pop mega-songs, and is worth a listen by fans of any genre. I picked this EP because if you put on the song I'm a Marionette by Ghost, think about Anatoly Moscovin and his creepy hoarder apartment assembling dead body dolls, uh, you're gonna get the chills guaranteed. Just think about it. Do it. I dare you. For the film in this edition of The Monstrous Picks, I'm going with Child's Play. No movie has been more responsible for the fear of dolls more than this. Why? Because of Chucky. Enough said. Check out Child's Play if for some reason you haven't seen it, and Ghosts if you have ghosts, and decide for yourselves and let me know what you think of this week's Monster Fix. Thanks, listeners. The Monsters Layer podcast is made possible by the following people whom I'd like to credit. Logo and cover art design. Chief Alan Bailey. Music, sound beds, sound effects, and audio go to the following people. First and foremost, I'd like to thank the band Poor Man's Poison from Hanford, California for allowing me to use their song, Devil's Price, as the official Monsters Layer theme song. Poor Man's Poison consists of Tommy McCarthy, Ryan Hacker, Mike Jacobs, and Dustin Maderos. Additional credits go to Polly Manners, also known as The Bearded Breed, host of The Bearded Breed podcast, and Frontman for Metal Messiah, for allowing me the use of songs from his band. The Mad Thinker Mike Morgan for original beats and sound beds. Find him on Instagram at Mad Thinker with the number three in place of the E. Credit also goes out to Zachary Mueller, the owner of Void Productions, for background music, sound beds, and sound effects. Special thank yous go out to the following people. My wife, the dark, lovely and witchy Christy Miller, for constant support and understanding of me doing this passion project. My daughters, the heathens, Haley and Harper. My partners at the Myriad Podcast Network, the Bearded Breed, Polly Manners, the Dark Knight, Brandon Davis, Dink Lord Trap God, Christian Miller, also the bass player for the Moonjacks, the Nerdsman, and Abyss, AKA Zachary Mueller of Void Productions. Thank you to Thomas Burrell and Burial 13 Apparel for support and appearances on the Monster's Lair. Shout out to Juvie Desayuno and Vic Ren the Legendary from the Hard Camera Podcast for supporting the show and always shouting out my show on the air. Rest in power, Tom the Nightmare, Thomas Cunningham, the Monster's Lair former co-host and my longtime friend. And last, but certainly not least. Thank all of you, the listeners, for always tuning in and for your continued, constant support of the Monsters Layer. Thank you.